these, that moment, the moment we won the Champions League and we completed the treble, was one of those moments I just started to run off and in the middle of the run I didn't even know if I should smile, if I should cry. I think it was a bit of all of it at the same time. If I hope, I wish everyone was to feel like that at, what, at least once in their, in their lifetime. The official Manchester City podcast. Nadam, good to see you. And you too, sir. Thanks you're looking good, you're looking good. Thanks very much. Haircut. Yeah. Wait, looks like you've been to Asia. Uh, I got a haircut in Korea, actually. Did yeah. you? Yeah, Korean, a very talented Korean barber. Okay, you're going to be heading back there to get the next uh, one. I'm looking at flights now, yeah, <laughs> for three weeks' time. I've not seen you since Istanbul, so we may as well start there. It was a glorious night for the football club. As a fan, as a pundit, a professional, what was your opinion on, on that whole night? I'll be honest, I was very unprofessional on that night and I was glad that I was working there for City because if I was supposed to be working somewhere and being more neutral, it wouldn't have been the same experience. But I was lucky enough to be invited over by City. I was in um, I was in a box with FG, Natalie Pike, Steph Horton, Esme Morgan, Sean Wright Phillips. Sorry if I forgot anyone. And that's everyone that like, plays for the club or have like a real strong affinity to it going through the motions in the game you know you you, you know you said it yourself there's, there's a sense of nervousness like worry is it going to go wrong again because you've never done it before so to like see City score a goal in the Champions League final never thought to see that I'm going nuts embarrassing celebrations that works you know but that's the way it is that's when you have that sort of emotional attachment to a team to a football club and then you just almost biting your nails thinking oh, can that clock move quicker please 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 Inter are throwing everything at City as they should do and then the final whistle goes, again, embarrass myself with celebrations, but so does everyone in that box, so does everyone associate with City. And it's an incredible moment. And as you talk about that final now, I love the fact that you can just say Istanbul. That's a word now that we can say to City fans, you talk about Istanbul, you know exactly what it means. You're not talking about the nature of a game or something that happened, just the feeling of Istanbul. The whole experience, the whole few days, yeah. But the, you know what, I learned something when I was younger and playing, I got my chance to play when we only played there once and it wasn't when I was at City. I remember speaking, speaking to Julian Lescott, who was at City at the time, and I said, oh, I'm really looking forward to this, really excited for it. And he said, it's only a good day if you win. And that stuck with me. And then going into the game, you know, I was looking forward to it and I was ready. But when it was game day, it's like, there's only one reason why we're here now. And I think given the fact that City won it, we can talk about Istanbul and how great it was, differently to how we maybe say like Porto, you know, which you try and just erase from your mind, which was the same game. We know a different outcome decides how you feel about it. Those final 10 minutes were were some of the worst uh, 10 minutes I've ever had to endure because we were being pushed pretty hard there and there was a few heart-stopping moments. Yeah. And the thing about Istanbul, of course, is it isn't just in isolation, it completed a treble. What do you think, as you know, somebody who, who understands uh, football globally and, and the landscape in terms of uh, a club's brand, revenue, the ability to attract players, all that kind of stuff. As being treble winners, what's that going to do for this football club, do you think? I think, so towards the end of the season, I was doing so much media here, there and everywhere. And the talk was about the treble, the treble, the treble. But then when you were talking, you always had to reference Manchester United. You always had to do it. The treble was theirs. When you talk about English football, it's theirs. It's no one else's. And come the cup final day, I'm surrounded by players who were having to talk about their trouble from 1909 or whatever it was. So you look, that's like 24 years on and that's still being spoken about because of how significant it was. And it just goes to show that, you know, for as good a team, as good a teams have been across all those years from that time, there's a reason why, you know, it never really happened because you need to have, you need to have good fortune, you need to have good health, you need to have great players, great sort of like character, um, 
within the football club and the people, people from the outside, support staff, everything. So to be able to do it, especially in this era now where I think lots of teams are better than say they were back then, I think it's absolutely amazing. As a consequence, they'll be spoken about, you know, as legends, you know, like Rodri scoring a goal in the Champions League final that wins City the first Champions League kind of treble, that's legendary. That achievement is legendary and whether people like City or they don't, they have to respect that achievement because only one of the team that they've seen has done that before. So I think it's amazing. I think as a sort of branding point, you know, these are, the City have been centurions. They've been the formidables. They've been treble winners. It's the holy grail of it, football. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Some people say, well, you know, you didn't win the fourth, but you know, when, you, when you're nitpicking like that, it's, I think it says a lot, but for them to do it, these guys will be spoken about for probably the rest of our lifetime. Well, it's football immortality, isn't it? That squad and, and those those players who are involved in in winning that treble, that's that's now in the history books and no one can ever take it away from them. 100%. And I think to put more sort of perspective into it, I think that was a season where Arsenal were top for 80% of the season. You know, some people might look back in time and say, well, City, obviously, they won the league because they, they always win the league. Well, it wasn't that at all. No. There was real jeopardy in there, wasn't Jeopardy they? throughout to a point where I think for two th for a third of the season, maybe two thirds of the season, if they would have lost two games in a row, everything would be done. They had to be nearly perfect for the key part of the season to get themselves the opportunity to get across the line. And then you get to a cup final. It's against Man, it's against Man United. You know, it's, it's your biggest rival on that stage where they know that they can stop you from potentially winning a treble. Again, that's real pressure. Who wants to play in a derby game in a cup final? I'd probably say fans of both teams don't want that. They'd rather play anybody else. So I think in my mind, like the journey to get there is so significant, but all those players, all the staff, everyone's been involved, they've felt every single game. And the ending is the sweetest bit, but the journey itself was tough. You had so many highs, so many lows. So to come out and win it the way that you did, like you'll, you'll remember that forever. I think the United win, now that the job is done, it almost makes it even better, doesn't it, that part of that treble was beating United in a final, the first ever major final at Manchester Derby. Yeah, I think in my time, so, you know, playing for City for the years I did, 2004 to 2012, basically, like, City won a title by overcoming Arsenal. They won an FA Cup by beating Man United and they won the Champions League by beating Inter Milan. And whatever you could say about each team and where they are in terms of their history and their cycles, it's whatever. But I didn't think from back then this would be a conversation we'd ever be having. And considering it's not that long ago in the grand scheme of things, for them to get the better of three sides like that who've tasted success at the highest level, for them to do it the way that they did, it's an astonishing achievement. And I think as some of the people that you've interviewed will say, it won't really sink in until you stop playing. Because before you know it for them, because of the way football is, they, they literally sit at the summit, they have three weeks off and they're back to ground zero. They've got to go again. It's almost too much for them to process in that short space of time, isn't it? Yeah. And now they're going to, yeah, like you say, they're already thinking about the new season, aren't they? 100%, yeah. This is something that they'll be sort of like associated with forever, you know, and that's not just the people, not just Rodri who scored the goal, not just, say, someone that played well in the games, everybody that was a part of that journey, whether that's the Rico Lewis types or people who played in the early rounds of the Champions League, like from the fans who travel to all the games to the fans who only travel to one, you know, everyone that went and supported the football club in one way, whether it's on the field or off it, you know, they're a big reason as to why it finished the way that it did. And it's unforgettable. You mentioned we beat Arsenal, uh, Manchester United, Inter Milan. On the way to the Champions League, we also beat Real Madrid and Bayern Munich, who were probably the two best teams who were in it. And let's not forget as well, I mean, you mentioned, you touched upon it there, but on April the 1st, we were eight points behind Arsenal. We had a game in hand, but, but it was eight points on April the 1st. 
And to manage to turn that round and win it with two games to spare was remarkable. But anyway, I'm delighted to say that on this special episode of the Manchester City podcast, we are going to be speaking to two of the main architects of that treble win. So we're going to start with Ruben Diaz, who, when he came back into the side, because he wasn't playing regularly as he had done in previous seasons, the you know for the first half of the season. But when he came back in, it did seem to kick City into a different gear, didn't it? So your perspective as a you know a former defender and why is his presence in the team? Why does it elevate us so much? And there and there are stats to back that up as well. Oh, I've, I've heard the stats. I've heard the stats. You found those ones, didn't you? I did. I dug those <laughs> ones out. Yeah. I think he's a very calming presence on the field, but in a way which is actually quite intense. You know, he's constantly drilling people, saying, come on, be here, be there, do this, do that, organising those around him. And then doing it with, you know, the stuff that he says, it's justified. I think he leads by example. You know, if he's making a block, like I've seen it myself, if someone makes a block and he's passionate about something, it's then easier for the next person to do it because that's the standard that's being set. Whereas I think sometimes, you know, if it's not, to that sort of like high level of intensity then sometimes it's just easy for everyone to stay at the same level but he's very much part of it he will but always body a ball he'll make sure that if someone doesn't is under pressure he'll give them an angle to receive the ball he'll be squeezing up like as a defender sometimes you know when a game's getting end to end you know you're supposed to squeeze up but you just run that little bit slower to squeeze up just because you're a bit tired but for him everything's like let's go let's go let's go and lo and behold he then drags everyone up with him it's not to say that the other players don't do that but, you know, that's him. That's who he is. He strives to be the best that he can be and try and help those around him be the best as well. And as a consequence, when he came in, I think the points per game and the goals considered per game went down. But it's funny that because I thought Ake and Akanji were both magnificent as well. But that just goes to show the sort of embarrassment of riches that sometimes City do have because you can bring in, you can have someone like that on the bench and bring them in and then crack on again. I think I think you're right. He is intense and he does demand a lot, but that raises the standards. It's fair though. Of, of it's fair though. Of course, there, it is. There are some people who just talk, and the stuff that they're saying is just like, just shut up. You know what I mean? Platitudes. But, yeah, but when he's saying what he's saying, it's for a reason. It's like, no, from a set piece, you have to be here. Come here quickly. Come here quickly. Before you know, it, you organise that bit quicker, and being organised more quickly means the opposition are put off because now they can't do anything quick because it's now harder to try and break them down. You know what I mean? And those type of organisers, those sorts of leaders, because he's one of the captains. But I love the fact that City's captains, plural. It's not just one person that does it. It's a few of them that are selected to do it and lots of people that support from behind. Yeah, there are five and they all take it very, very seriously. And that leadership then runs deeper, doesn't it? A lot of clubs, a lot of teams that I've been a part of couldn't, wouldn't have five leaders in it. But for City, you know, it's at least five. You know what I mean? And the amount of people that have been at the club for more than, say, three, four years as well, I think it says a lot about the sort of, um, the character and the culture that exists here because Ruben Diaz can be there and so can like a De Bruyne or so can be a Rodri or Cal Walker and they basically like signify what the club stands for how they want to do business and it's not just about you know winning every single week it's about the journey to get to that point it's about how we do things here it's about being on time it's about being committed and training it's about when the game's over getting ready for the next game because come the end of the season for City they're playing 60 plus games you know and if you have the wrong sort of people in charge and leading the group at that point you won't be 60, you'll probably be about 40. And that 40 will be another disappointing season, unfortunately, which many teams have to go through. Okay. This interview took place in Tokyo, where the team were on pre-season preparing for the new campaign. And we spoke about all sorts, the meaning of the treble, how difficult last season was, and also his relationship with John Stones. So looking to try and get back into this game late on. 
and it's a good header and in from Ruben Diaz. Ruben Diaz, thank you for joining us. I wanted to uh, to look back to last season, which obviously was uh, an amazing season. Now that you've had a bit of time to to dissect it, what are your thoughts on on being a treble winner? How does it feel? Well, I think the focus was so much on just enjoying it and not thinking much about anything that uh, we we're still thinking about it and. Uh, but I guess there will never be a time in which you you've thought about it. Uh, all I guess maybe uh, when when once finish the the career, maybe you will actually look at it and see and be proud of what you've did. Not that you don't feel proud now, but I think now it's just a time to keep pushing and just you not you don't know yet if you can do it again, if you can do just more. Uh, and I guess that that feeling is something that in a way just makes you not think about it too much in in the way that you, you could relax from it you know that you're still here and everything can happen with this team so i think more than realizing what we've done even though we all know it was something special and amazing is just in the air you can just feel the the you can have the feeling that Everything can happen again, and uh, we we're on the spot now, and we can do great things still. So we'll have time to actually look at it uh, from above later. Let's go back to to Istanbul because obviously that was the the night that completed the treble. You were emotional as as most of the players were at the full time whistle. I mean, how does it feel uh, at that moment when when we've got over the line and not only completed the treble but we've won the club's first European Cup? Does it feel like the pressure was off, or did it just feel wonderful? Yeah, I'll be I'll be honest with you. I from from my family's influence a bit, my dad's influence, from myself, my inner self. I think I've never been the guy to cry in any occasion, uh, either a win or a loss. Uh, and I've always said that I was not trying not to. Maybe uh, I was just not giving in to it. But eventually, if one day something would, was to touch me that much, I would just go natural because I would have no problem with it. And uh, I guess these, that moment, the moment we won the Champions League and we completed the treble, was one of those moments I just started to run off. And in the middle of the run, I didn't even know if I should smile, if I should cry. I think it was a bit of all of it at the same time. And it was just something I had never felt in my life. I hope, I wish everyone was to feel like that at, one, at least once in their in their lifetime, because it was just something that I'm still searching the words for. Um, it was special, and uh, and then you've got the the thing that makes it even more special. I think that for me it was my first Champions League, but at the same time it was also the first Champions League for my club, and I think that just makes it even more spectacular. In, in a certain way, for how much for how much it means to me, but how much it means for all of us, the people, the fans, everyone. And Inter made it very hard for us that night, didn't they? That was a they they were very well organised and, and they didn't make anything easy. So we had to we had to fight, didn't we, to to get that result and play maybe in a bit of a different way than we than we normally do. Yeah, well, in the end, we knew we knew it it was not going to be an easy game. You just had to look at how they got there and the quality players they had on that team. And in the end, it was not probably exactly the same, but Chelsea's final was not much different in terms of the kind of opposition we had. 
they were both very tricky teams and we knew we would have to be very consistent and we would really have to to grind it out to to make it happen <laughs> just in the end it, we're just happy it smiled for us and uh, it was definitely a moment to always remember but I think more than ever the team was ready for that kind of final so you've been at City for for three years and you've won the Premier League every single year I've got a little stat here for you that Opta have sent to us that we average 2.47 points per game when when you play now of every player who's ever played at least 50 games in the Premier League you are third on that list who's on top of me who do you think the other two are just out of interest you'll be hard to get but just just out of interest you need to give me some clues come on well one is a teammate of yours actually a teammate of mine yeah yeah 50 games minimum. Yeah, 50, minimum 50 games average yours is 2.47 per game yeah, points per game which obviously is hugely impressive but there are two people in the history of the Premier League no, who right, got if, better if one of them it's a teammate of mine I would go with there can be many say Merrick Laporte who averages 2.52 and then the guy on top of the list is Arjen Robin, who has 2.58 points per game Wait, hang on, 2.58? Yeah, so Robin, 2.58, Laporte, 2.52, and you, 2.47. Ah, okay, okay. So you're third on the list. Okay. But that's impressive numbers, I'm happy with it. And here's another one for you. For last season, in games that you played, we averaged uh, 0.6 goals per game against us, whereas when you didn't play, we averaged a goal. That shows your impact, doesn't it? Are you interested in stats like that, or...? Is it more yeah, about obviously, the... obviously, it's good to to see it and to listen to it. If you ask me, it's one of them. I'd rather not focusing too much, even though it's always good to. And in the end, uh, that's also part of the game. It's also part of what I am as a player. But I just rather not focusing too much on it, just because it's the same effect of thinking too much about the treble. Uh, I don't want to relax and. I want to give importance to winning a treble, to those stats, but not too much importance because that the kind of thing that with time it makes you relax and I don't want to relax at all. Do you think that's the biggest danger maybe for this team? Complacency, relaxing? Because obviously we've got the we've got a great squad. The only thing that could stop us if maybe we took the foot off the gas. I'm not saying that will happen, no, but yeah, maybe. I'm, I just, I've just spoke about it uh, on, a, on an interview and I guess that that's probably where the managing staff from the club, uh, directors, everyone, the, the, the manager, everyone responsible for, for the kind of players we get. I think that's when they get it big because I just have a feeling, and since I've arrived, I just have a feeling that more than hiring a player, a good winger, a good defender, a good midfielder, we were hiring people with personality, with character, and people that they know they're going to be here and they're going to fight for it, not just to make it happen, but to keep it, to keep making it happen. And I think that's when we we feel secure on on the team's mentality because we know if we've got the kind of players that don't just want to do it once. They don't want to just look pretty in the picture. We want to look pretty in the legacy. So. Another question I wanted to ask you was about John Stones, who was part of a, a slight tactical shift, a quite an important tactical shift, because our results after that happened were were much improved. Did you ever imagine that he would be capable of, you know, when you've got the ball, stepping into midfield and and dictating play in the way that he did? Because he did an well, amazing job. Well, to be honest job. with you, to be honest with you, I I never really saw it coming. Uh, he definitely was. Uh, 
exceptional from John. And then it still is, and the the fact that he's he's shown to have that quality uh, is just impressive to to us all. And obviously, to be able to get that with the 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 part that we already knew uh, of him, it's a big extra for our team because we just became very even more versatile than we already were. And it was uh, it was definitely a, a big extra. And he's a he's a special person, isn't he? I mean, you must love playing alongside him and and having you know him as you know already. I love him. Yeah. Everyone knows He's I a think. great man, isn't he? <laughs> well, I can only speak for myself and uh, he already knows how, how I feel about him. Uh, and, uh, well, in a way, we just uh, we just love each other. And I guess that that's, in, in the end, and living the life we live, that's the kind of connection one can hope to find at least once in a, in a season. And I've had it for the last three seasons, so uh, on that sense, I... I'm, I'm very happy that I, I was lucky to find it. And one final question: We're here in in Tokyo, and now looking ahead to a new season. I mean, what are your what are your aims and ambitions? I mean, you've already kind of touched on this, but you just want to keep winning, presumably. Yeah, we go again. Better than once is twice, and three, and four, and five times. I think we're in a special place, uh, but as a team, but also as a club, and uh, it's the time to obviously think about stuff, but not think too much because it's time to do it. And uh, obviously, we've done amazing the last few years, and especially the last season, we've done some, we've done something amazing. But I guess we'll never know how amazing it can be until we're actually finished. So let's just focus on enjoying what we did, but more than anything, focus on what's yet to come because I do believe we've got uh, some great achievements yet to to conquer. What a great message for City fans, Ruben Diaz! Congratulations on what we did last season and good luck for the new season. Thank you very much. That was Ruben Diaz there, talking to the official Manchester City podcast. Nathan, what did you make of, of that can interview? I, can I start by saying, you love him, don't you? I do really like him, yeah. yeah. I could see there's something in your voice, which yeah. is a little bit, a little bit higher. Yeah. Hey, Ruben. He's a, he's a very important player for the football club, yeah, isn't he, is. he, let's be honest. He is, he's a, and he's a really good guy as well. And I think those, those types of characters, I think he mentioned it himself. Like, he senses that he... I think I saw something that's, I think, magnificent. He was talking about, you know, winning the treble, talking about the emotions, how he doesn't usually cry, but all of a sudden he's crying. But he said, this was the first Champions League for my club. You know, that line there, that shows how committed he is to being here, you know, to being around those players, to be around that staff, to be playing for these fans. Not everyone would say that, but he just rolled off his tongue. He's, he's amazing, really. Like, such a good player, you know, plays, he's an international player, one of many for City. But, you know, he's he's well on the way to becoming an icon for the football club. When you think about the fact he's been here, is it three seasons, possibly four? It's not that many in the grand scheme of things to have such a big, uh, big role within a successful side. Three and won the Premier League every year, which is... Must be nice, you know. Some record. Must be nice, yeah. Yeah. The other thing I loved was the stuff about John Stones. How he, he described him as special to him or something along those lines. You know, he, he seems like their sort of friendship relationship, he seems to go a little bit above and beyond uh, the norm. I loved that. Yeah, absolutely. I think at times within football, you can play alongside people and you can have camaraderie or you can have competition, you know, because some people are desperate to be a part of the limelight. But I'd say for those two, they just want to do a job for the team and work hard for each other. And that counts on the field, off the field. And they're just trying to make the game as easy as they can for everyone around them. And they're fantastic players. They work really well together. And having that sort of bonding camaraderie, you know, it's great to see someone else doing well. If John is in the limelight doing exceptionally well, you've got players on the team who are happy for it. Yeah, they seem to really 
complement each other, actually, which is the, the, they just work as a pairing, don't they? I'm not going to turn this into a John Stone special because I do think uh, we're going to try and get him on the, on the podcast in the new season so we can save that for then. Next interview that we're going to hear is with the guy who played the most times for Manchester City during the trouble-winning campaign, Rodri. I uh, think he played 62 games, admitted to us uh, after the game in Istanbul when he'd scored the winning goal uh, that he was thoroughly knackered and that um, he, he'd certainly he'd, he'd certainly been through it during the course of the season because there was so much pressure on him. But he is the guy who scored the winning goal. It was a glorious moment. It's etched into Manchester City history. So here's our interview uh, again in Tokyo with Rodri. Could he be the man not to be Rodri? finds the goal they were just beginning to wilt into the land there's really only one place to start the winning goal in a Champions League final you scored it does it get any better than that and, and what were the feelings sensations emotions like when that ball hit the back of the net well uh, of course after one month uh, of, of, of this special moment for, for all of us uh, for me in particular of course uh, the way he finished uh, with the goal, with the MVP of the final, with uh, all of these things together, right? Uh, the treble, the Champions League, uh, first time in the history of the club. Uh, many, many good feelings come into into my head. Uh, of course, a special moment for me uh, with that goal. But uh, it was a long, long season, and the way it finished was. I mean, if you think in a, in the way you could finish something, is nothing else could be more beautiful in that way. Uh, suffering at the end, of course. Uh, uh, with this save of, of Eddie, with the, these moments and, and with the final whistle was explosion of, of emotions and something we all have to be proud and individually, of course, uh, I am. Inter Milan did make it very hard for us that night and you mentioned uh, some of those heart-stopping moments towards the end. I mean, what, what's it like going through that? I mean, it was terrible to watch from the stands, but like when you're on the pitch and, you know, they go so close at the end, it must have been, must have really, uh, really been hard to, to keep your emotions in check at that point. No, I was. I mean, uh, when I scored the goal, uh, I remember in all the euphoric moment, I was saying, "Guys, uh, still 20, 20 minutes, and it's gonna be a that's gonna now it starts the real battle." I mean, because uh, when you have nothing to lose after that, uh, they 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 start bringing players on on front, and and in that moment, you have to put the your your suit on and uh, the trucks, sorry, and 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 work. And that's that. That was the mentality of the team and suffering in some moments. Uh, we had Eddie uh, that was key for us in those moments. The defending was was great. Uh, but uh, football is like this, you know. Sometimes you have to suffer and be together as a team, and also this give us the the final. Uh, but as you said, you suffer. But uh, trust me, that in the pitch, you when you're tired, when you want something so bad, and you still have. Minutes to go, I was looking all the time to the referee. I said, please whistle right now. It's like, no, it's one more corner, one more. And uh, But yeah, you have to be strong in that in those moments uh, together as a family. And we go through because we have the, the experience of living these moments and we have the experience of being together in bad moments. So great, it was great uh, feeling. Do you get nervous before games? I'm thinking particularly the FA Cup final, Champions League final, because obviously the league's wrapped up and we know if we win those two games, we've we've completed the treble, which is historic. You must be nervous. How do you keep that in check and how do you turn that into like a positive energy? Of course, you, 
you are nervous in 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 some some terms and I don't know any uh, all the players are not the same they 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 leave things in different way but uh, when you have two games that we have uh, the possibility of winning two titles more and doing a triple of course you have this feeling before the the game that is is uh, in my particular position I want to to start the game uh, yes or yes because uh those hours before is is a bit uh, I don't I don't like the the feelings because they're nervous because you you don't know what's going to happen you want to win in then this kind of feelings but uh, also is is the beauty of football uh, this kind of feeling so uh it was it was nice to live this experience uh to win of course uh, always when you win is 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 even better but uh that makes you alive i think this kind of things that well you you feel you're alive when you fight for this and the moments before you moments the celebration all together as as a complete global makes the beauty of the of the sport that is football you played 56 times last year only Lionel Messi has ever played more games for for Pep you're number 2 on the list does that almost bring more pressure on you because you play not only your role on the pitch is pivotal but clearly you're a pivotal player because you play every week does that kind of that must take its toll over the course of a, of, of a season for you yeah, it's, uh, it's something you have to build uh, in terms of the physicality from, uh, for the years because it's not easy to play all those amount of games in, in the level, in being uh, consistency. Uh, and it's something you have to, something sometimes uh, the body is, uh, is tired and the, the, the head is uh, tired and you have to make a step forward and, and try to to push until the limit, and uh, it's, it's, it's what it is. I tell, I think you can do it one season, a few seasons. I think you have to, we have to check that if if it's the best thing for the for the player. I think sometimes you have to stop, and it's something we're gonna look for it this season. I think it's not not healthy to play that amount of games. Uh, but last season was like this. Uh, I I assume, and I go forward. Uh, Knowing that it was a special season and we could win everything, but uh, very happy for for the effort because it's it's not easy. I tell you, yeah, you must have really needed uh, needed the rest in the summer. Looking ahead a little bit, Super Cup, Club World Cup, first time City have ever played in these. I mean, how much of a desire is there in the in the squad to 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 win those two trophies? I mean, uh, every every season is a new new target, and we have the winning the Champions League give us a. And the Premier League gives us the chance to to play more finals. Uh, we have three in the next two months, so it's very very special. Always when you fight for. I remember it was my first trophy uh, with Atletico, the Super Cup, and very special tournament for me. So I know exactly how is a final, and we're gonna face Arsenal, Sevilla, and then the World Cup. So it's gonna be uh, very important for 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 us. Uh, our finals, so we have to prepare good ourselves in this preseason. You're widely considered now to be the best number six in world football and your improvement as City has been pretty drastic. You know, you've you've really been on an upward curve the whole time that you've been here. What what do you put that down to, that, that rapid improvement? Well, I, th- I think uh, I think that's on the people what they think. But uh, of course, my, my target every year was to be, to grow as a player and try to be the best I could be of myself. I remember the first year I came to City and... Uh, the things they didn't go the way we were, we we want uh, in terms of of trophies, but uh, I I said to the people uh, to arrive into this level to to win, 
there's a process. You you cannot win in the the first moment you arrive somewhere because the level is very high. And I came from another culture. I came from another league, and I adapt to myself to to be here one day with it with this level. So now my goal is is the same: to keep growing, trying to the parts of the game I can improve, improve. And of course, as I tell you before, being consistency all the all the games I play because I think it's the most important role uh, in my situation for the team. We spoke to Ruben Diaz on the podcast the other day and him coming back into the team last year really kind of kick-started a run of improved results. Just try and explain to us the importance of Ruben to the to the team and to the culture. Yeah, I think uh, he had a period of before the, the World Cup and a bit after. He didn't participate much into the team. And... Uh, I'm not saying that the, the team missed, but it's true that uh, when he's not in the team, he will lose a bit of character and, and leadership he added, he bring into the team. So I think uh, to win trophies and to be consistent and never lose the focus and never lose the, the mentality is one of the most important players. Of course, we have a squad of 24, 25 players and they all deserve to play and they're all important in the way, but Ruben is special in this way and that's why he's one of the captains being one I think it's his third year here uh, he speaks about the importance of him in, in the pitch and out of the pitch Roderick you were amazing last season uh, the fans loved watching you play thank you so much for everything you gave to us in that trouble winning campaign and good luck for the new season as well thank you guys uh, for letting me we hope uh, this season at least could be the same <laughs> good stuff thank, thank you, you so much, much. thank, thank you, you. here's Roderick chance to shoot and he has done does from that kind of range he doesn't smash it he passes it into the corner of the net it's just nestles in the side netting of the goal there's nothing the goalkeeper can do and the way that Rodri just places it rather than smashes it tells you everything about his technique Nadam thoughts on that one Thoughts on the interview, thoughts on Rodri, like, what a guy, you know what I mean? Like, what what a guy, it's just, it's just, it, like, he loves football, seems like he loves his teammates, he strives to do more, doesn't want to be in the limelight, like, the players that are that good that don't want to be in the limelight are amazing to me, you know, it's like David Silva, like, in the in the past, you, know, you could talk about Kevin as well, they're, they're astonishing, but they're, they're so good, and I think the fact that he played pretty much every game last season played to such a high standard he is now one of the best in the world in that position I think it says a lot about development as a player development as a person as well and I'm delighted that he scored the winner obviously anyone could have scored and I'd have been celebrating it was like a win for like the good guys it feels yeah, like yeah but what you know what I mean what a player and I've got to say when I was um when I was in Istanbul I kind of blagged my way down to pitch side excuse me sorry if anyone's listening to that that could get me in trouble so, yeah but he saw me and he came over and he said, how are you doing, legend? He came to me, he said, how are you doing, legend? And I'm like, mate, you just scored the winner in the Champions League final. Like, I was playing when we didn't score a goal at home for three months. But he's such a, like, personable guy. Really welcoming. Like, he's not as in a disrespectful way, because he always gets killed for the type of clothes that he wears and stuff like that. But he just goes, it like, it doesn't matter. The stuff that matters is what he is. And that's why he's an astonishing player. And, you know, he's turned into the favourite of a lot of fans. And you never would have thought that'd be the case when only a few years ago it was Fernandinho and no one else was ever going to be, be able to replace him, but now he's doing it his own way and is an integral part of his football team. Yeah, you're right about him deserving to score that goal because he played more games than anybody, so that brings pressure. But also his role on the pitch is a pretty pivotal role. 
and you are exposed in that position, aren't you? You know, when you're that pivot in midfield. 100%, yeah. And, you know, that's one of those roles where they're different. People can play the six in different ways. They can be the ones who are always available, but they can be the ones who are always pointing, telling you where to go, you know. But he is the one who will always receive the ball. But then also when it comes down to defending, he's a big body to try and get past and he'll stick his foot in when he needs to as well. Really understand the game, like in a spectacular manner. And you mentioned your sort of like tiredness at the end of the game. Let me put this into perspective. Do you know, when you watch a big game that City are playing in, you feel the stress, you feel the tension. If you feel your heart rate, it's actually a lot higher than it would be. So I'm a the, terrible watcher. Yeah, I think most terrible. people are. It's very hard to be relaxed about something you've got no control over. But I'll tell you another thing. When there's a big game going on, you as a player also feel that sort of tension, that nervousness that comes with it. I think you, you spoke about that in the podcast. And that gets your heart rate higher just as a base level from going into a game. So then when you're then involved in the emotions and the physicality of the game, there are people on the sideline who feel exhausted after a big game who haven't kicked the ball. So lo and behold, if you're out there, a pivotal part of it, knowing that you have to, it's not like you, maybe I'll go forward. It's like you have to go forward. Like for his goal, he could have just stayed near the halfway line, but you knew he had to come forward. There was a reward there for him. But that's the case of the whole season, him making the right decision probably nine times out of ten. What a like, brilliant human being. What a great signer for the club. And he can keep getting better as well. Top finish as well. He didn't just blast it. He, he really placed that, which is a, a magic thing to be able someone to do. Someone would have been concussed in the stands if that was me there. I guarantee it. And that's someone a long way away from the goal as well. Here's one, one question for you then before we move on to the final interview uh, regarding Rodri. Uh, I don't think I'm speaking out. So he's, the, he's the best number six in, in world football. I think that's kind of widely acknowledged or certainly one of. His first season, he did struggle a little bit to adapt. Did you, would you, hand on heart, have thought that fast forward three years, four years, however long he's been here, he's been here since the summer of 2019, that he would, the rise would have been as rapid and, and, as, and as amazing as it has been? Okay, so let me give you the full story that I have of this. So I was still playing in 2019. So my viewership of City was in a different place to where I wasn't watching every single game. But then I retired in 2020, came back, and one of the first games I saw was a game behind closed doors for City, uh, I think maybe against Everton or something. And in the game, this was uh, end of 2020, in the game I thought he was magnificent. I don't know the backstory about him, but I knew City style Fernandinho, but he was magnificent. And I went on a radio show, and they asked me, did I want to impress you in the game? I said, Fernandinho, I had my head bit, I'm sorry, I said Rodri, but I had my head bitten off. I was like, well, hold on a second. I just saw something, which I thought I'd love to play with that. So I always thought, from when I started paying more attention, he's got the attributes to be magnificent, you know. So him being in his position now, I think he's, his game, I don't know the flaws that existed before and which people were openly talking about, but I think some of those flaws probably came because of being compared to Fernandinho all the time, whereas now that's his role, that's his position. He's a different player to Fernandinho, but has the same impact and effects around the place. Um, so I knew he could get better. I knew he was really good technically brilliant great size to him and long build of football the more you play the better you can become but when you look at the players around him whether he's playing alongside you know Gundogan or Bernardo Silva or Kevin De Bruyne whether he's dropping back into defence or saying the players behind him you've got all the ingredients to be able to achieve your potential and he seems like someone who's desperate to get better and to do the best that he can for his team to try and help him be successful so this growth that's come with playing more and more games and this is why City signed him because they knew there was something like this within him. And best of all, there's more to come. It's funny you say that. I remember the summer we signed him, we went on tour to Asia and I did an event with Mikel Arteta and Pep in Hong Kong. And I remember asking them about Rodri and they just looked at each other with this kind of knowing smile and sort of nodded and said he's going to be the best in the league. And for a while, I remember looking back on that and thinking, 
have they misjudged this? But by they knew and they have been proven to be absolutely correct. Um, fantastic. Thank you for that. And I think now we've got one more interview, which is a bit of a bonus interview. It's with a player called Oscar Bob. Those who uh, watch Brian Barry Murphy's under-21s will know about this guy. He is an absolute dream of a footballer to watch. A really beautifully, you know, aesthetically pleasing footballer as well as being a really effective one. I think he's got a chance at City, I really do. And Pep clearly thinks that because he was one of two, what you would call, uh, academy players who went on tour, him and uh, James McAtee. Because obviously Cole Palmer, Phil Foden, they're now established first teamers. So he's obviously rated very highly and Pep spoke very highly of him in a press conference when he was asked by a Norwegian journalist. The Norwegian journalist who only ever asked questions about Erling Haaland, by the way. So Oscar Bobby's taken the limelight from our biggest player. Uh, but we were lucky enough to get the chance to uh, to sit with Oscar. So here's the, the final interview of this tour special with Oscar Bob, our 20-year-old attacking midfielder. Oscar Bob, thank you for joining us on the official Manchester City podcast. I want you to take us back to the beginning. Um, you grew up in Oslo. Tell us what your childhood was like in Oslo and, and how you first came to, to enjoy football. Yes, thank you for having me. Um, so I am born and raised in Oslo. I uh, was born in 2003. I grew up uh, uh, in a small place in Oslo called Torsen. And uh, I started playing football when I was five, six years old, just uh, with my friends from school. And then as I got older, I started playing for my local team, uh, Lean, they're called. And uh, yeah, I was just always outside, always playing with my friends. And I think it was just natural in the environment I was in. Was football in your family, or did you are you the, like the first to have a real passion for football? My father loves football, but he never really played. Uh, so I'd say I'm the first, yeah. But uh, no, my, I'd say my father he really likes football. And tell us about your mother because she's a she's a very successful actress, isn't she? I believe. Yeah, um, she she is. She's uh, been in a couple of big movies, uh, especially in Norway. But uh, yeah. So she must be an inspiration to you then, because that's an unusual career, but it's probably sent a message to you in a kind of subliminal way that you can do whatever you want in life. You know, if you've got a mother who's who's achieved those things, that must be quite inspirational. 100%. Uh, she's my biggest inspiration, of course, and uh, not only for what she's done in her career. I mean, I grew up most of my childhood with just her. So, um, yeah, 100%. Mother's a... Uh, the most important people, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. So tell us a little bit about your academy journey because I know um, you spent some time at Porto yeah. before going back to Valerenga. That's an interesting career trajectory. How did that come about and what are the major differences between football in, in those two academies and those two countries? So we did move to Portugal because of my mum's work and uh, I lived there for three years, which was three great years. In Porto, obviously, and uh, I think the the passion there is crazy, and uh, the fans, the community around the club, it's like uh, you can compare it to City in in Manchester, where you really feel when you play for the club, you really feel a part of the city, and uh, I, I see some of it in Manchester, and uh, in Porto, I, I feel like I learned that at an early age. 
So I'm presuming just my perception that the Porto Academy, that's probably very technical. Um, do you feel you were given a kind of really good basis there in terms of your just your your basic technical skills? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, Southern European football is very technical. Uh, maybe not as physical, but definitely technical, as you said. And uh, I'm very grateful for my time there where I learned so much and, uh, yeah, learned some of the, or got some of the technical quality. And what about Valerengas? And you go back uh, to, to your, your home country, you join Valerengas Academy. What What's the differences there? Uh, what have you absorbed from Norwegian football that maybe you can, you've added to supplement to, to what you learn in Portugal to create the player that you are? Well, I don't think um, I don't think I learned everything in Portugal. Everything, you know, I think it was uh, a bit of both. Maybe uh, Norway is now coming with the likes of Erling and Odegaard in at Arsenal, but um, I think Norwegian football can be a bit underrated because um, there's a lot of talent, good coaches, and I feel like half of what I am today is because of my time in Norway. And what about your time at City? Because my understanding is you've, you've, you've really transformed, actually, since City. You know, your development has, has, has been very, very good. When you first arrived, because English football does catch people by surprise a little bit, doesn't it? You know, the physicality and, and all that kind of stuff. Did you have any trouble with that adaptation? Yeah. My first year was very good. Then my second year uh, was a bit difficult. I was going into the under 23s league and uh, was a bit small not uh, so strong but um, uh, I got a second year in the under 18s which really helped me um, and then the year after when I got a new goal at the 23s league and um, I felt a lot more ready and that extra year in the under 18s really it really helped me prepare and uh just develop more, not just physically, but uh, mentally as well. What have you learned at City? Because, you know, you, you the, the player you are today, I mean, we, we absolutely love watching you play football. I'll come on to, I'll come on to that later. But kind of what, what have they taught you? Because we, we play 4-3-3. It's very possession-based, very attacking. It must be attractive for, for a young player. But what are the kind of principles that City have kind of drummed into you? I think I said this after the game, but throughout the whole club, uh, there's this um, there's this sort of philosophy, of course, that comes from the main man uh, Pep, and um, although it um, it gets tweaked all the time in the first team, it's generally like uh, it's possession based, uh, very much so. We want the ball as much as possible, and I mean there's different different ways of uh, teaching it, but. Um, what goes throughout the whole club is that we want to have the ball as much as possible and when we don't have it, press as hard as possible. And from the managers I've had, um, Gareth Taylor, Carlos Vicens, Brian, uh, Barry Murphy in the academy, um, they've all had that same principle. So I feel like it was instilled to me from day one and uh, since then, just kept going. For those who are not familiar with the way that you play, you are a dribbler. Um, and there is real kind of off-the-cuff creativity in, in your game. 
which is actually pretty rare, I find, in, in modern football, because I think academies now, there's so much emphasis on the tactical side of things and, and players are kind of coached so much that actually the dribblers like yourself, uh, you don't see as many. So how have you managed to maintain that uh, that spontaneity on the pitch and that creativity in, in such a controlled environment? From uh, when I started playing till I was, because I, I went to Portugal at 12, but I didn't start playing football till that. 13 so from I started playing till I was 13 I wasn't really in an academy of sort and then I had two years in Porto's academy which were great and then I went home for a year and uh, I was a bit injured and the academies in Norway it's not the same tactical stuff uh, kind of so I feel like I haven't really been as involved in the academy side of football as probably many others have um, but I feel like that, in a way, has helped me a bit. But for others, it might not. I'm not sure. That's interesting. So actually, you feel like you've been able to just develop your own game almost without being too, yes. I don't want to say overcoached, but you know that kind of thing. Yeah, in a way. But at uh, the same time, when I've come to City, I think all the coaches I've had and the people have helped me massively uh, improve um, that side of my game that you talked about as well. So, yes, yeah, I'm not really too sure. And last season, you you added a, an amazing season for our under twenty ones under Brian's um, under Brian's guidance. Tell me about the influence of Brian because it seems, and we, well, we we love working with him. He's a great coach. The football you guys play under his management says everything you need to know about him. Really, what's he like to work with, and and why do the players like him? so much because it's hard for a manager to get a squad to like him but my impression is that he's he's quite well liked by pretty much all the players yeah I think he keeps it uh, or he's very straight so he'll tell you how it is and I think uh, people appreciate that uh, that's that's how I felt when I was working with him uh, like if I'd had a bad game he'd tell me uh, so uh, I think um uh, I don't know. I think he's a he's a great coach, of course, and uh, he helped me massively improve my game. Uh, gave me a lot of confidence, and he also kind of really got me to understand how important hard work is and how every day matters. Well, it certainly worked because we're here in Tokyo, and you've been invited to to come and play and, and train with the first team on our preseason tour. Firstly. When did you find out that you were you were part of the the party that were coming out here? I think early July, uh, because I had had Euros, so uh, of course I got a bit more I got a bit more time off, and then uh, I reported back in when when they came back in. So uh, yeah, early July I was very happy to get the news, and uh, it's a great honour, of course. And what have you found, you know, in terms of the level in, in training? It must be amazing for you to be able to sort of live, not only live amongst these guys and see how professional they are, but to get on the training field with them and, and see that quality every day. It must be amazing. Yeah, it's it's one of the greatest experiences I've ever had. I think uh, seeing a new level of quality of um, hard work and uh, something to, uh, to take inspiration from. Who's impressed you the most? Who's level when you're out on that training pitch? On the training pitch? Yeah. 
Jean is very good. Yeah. Bernardo oh, is he's uh I've never seen him lose the ball. Dribbling is creativity. He's something someone I would look look up to, of course. Um I say those two all oh, I Erling of course. He's for me the best. Yeah, so yeah, he's incredible. So in terms of Bernardo that because obviously you admire him. When he gets the ball, it's like it's stuck to his foot. I mean how how does someone do that, or is that a kind of an a natural thing, or is it something we could all work at? With him, I don't understand how he does it. Um, I think he's yeah, not only not only his dribbling, but his balance, which obviously plays part in that, is uh, incredible. Uh, the runs he goes on, the uh, the way he keeps the ball, the way he skips past players, and uh, I I think it's amazing. And after the, you played against Yokohama as well, by the way, and I thought you had a fantastic second half but when I spoke to you after the game you kind of said um, you didn't think you'd played that well is that something that is very much in you that you're self-critical maybe and you're always pushing and striving to, to improve yeah I think so I, I just uh, felt like it was a lot of simple stuff that I got wrong like short passing and, and stuff but uh, I also obviously I speak to my mum a lot and she's uh, and my dad and they tell me to Always try to improve, but not be too hard on yourself. Because, like, what happens happens, and you have to move on. Yeah, yeah. And you have to enjoy this experience yeah, as well. Yeah, no, just just being out there is is great. And after the game, Pep was very complimentary. I don't know if you've seen the comments, but he he was basically saying, you know, you'd had an amazing season last year with Brian uh, and the under twenty ones, and that you totally deserved to be out here. I mean, that if that doesn't give you a boost, oh yeah, nothing else will. No, from from him, it's obviously going to be a boost, yeah. No, 100%. And what about tactic, tactically him on the training pitch? Because obviously he's, he's he's the best, you know, he's the best manager in the world. I think I'm pretty confident in saying that. That's oh, not, 100%. That's not uh, city-tinted spectacles saying that. That's 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 the thing. So what, what give us a flavour, because obviously as fans, we love him and admire him, but we don't get to see the things that you've seen this week. So just give us an idea of what he's like. Well, I think... Best example I can give is um, a year ago, maybe two years ago, we uh, the under twenty threes help uh, help out um, when they're preparing for games. So um, uh, we'll be say say they're playing uh, I don't know uh, Crystal Palace or Chelsea, whoever will play the opponent and. Um, I remember today he was he was speaking a bit, giving some tactical advice to I don't know who, but I was just stood there and I was and I was playing striker I think maybe I was I was being Lukaku or whatever, just looking at him and my eyes were just like this, didn't blink. I was just watching him and some of the stuff he comes out with, it like really opens my eyes. I think you asked me earlier how what I've learned at City and I think just from those sessions being like a some people call it being a mannequin I've learned so much just just watching him teach and when he speaks everyone's shut and everyone watches everyone listens so that speaks volume yeah it's interesting a lot of players do say that that he makes you see the game differently and actually makes the game pretty simple because he's got this reputation of being this kind of innovative amazing thinker but sometimes players appreciate the, the simplicity that he brings to the game almost yeah 100% so, what's your best position 
would you say? Where ultimately do you do you, do you, do you see yourself on the pitch? Best position. Um, I think it's. Um, I was uh, like to play in midfield. It's uh, my favorite position, but uh, any attacking position I enjoy. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say attacking midfield. But any any position I've played, and I, I've always enjoyed it. So I've been told that you love a good who's better. I'll give you the classic Ronaldo, Messi. Ronaldo, Who would Messi. you say? Yeah, uh, I have to say Messi, of course, but I don't think I think they're the two best of. Yeah, why? Why would you plump for Messi over Ronaldo? What's the reason? I think um, she's. Uh, I think for the last what fifteen years, every time he stepped on the pitch, he's been the best player going into the game, no matter who he's played against. And um, for me, the most dangerous, if I'm playing with him, he's the guy I don't want to have the ball. So, yeah, that would be my reasoning. Um, but Ronaldo, yeah, if not best, he's second best, I think. So yeah. that's obviously crazy, uh, very good. I'm going to give you one more. And yeah. This is horrible one. Rodri or Fernandinho? Oh, Roger Fernandinho. Um, the thing is, um, when I was young, we didn't have Premier League. I always loved the Premier League. I watched highlights, but I didn't watch Fernandinho's full games till he was in his 30s. And so I'm not really sure, but and also, I wasn't as active on social media, but from now, I think Roger is the best six in the world. So, but I'd say Rodri, but to uh, bear in mind what I said. Yeah, I mean, he is the best six in the world. There's yeah. no doubt about it. And what a player we've got. Yeah, that's that's all from us, Oscar Bob. Thank, thank you so much for joining us. We wish you all the best. We we've loved watching you play for the under twenty ones, and we all now really want to see you make that step up and it's great to see you on tour 100 thanks very thank much thank you very much good luck thank you so much for that cheers but it really is a delightful finish such confidence and oscar bob doubles city's lead the official manchester city podcast with rob pollard and nader manua Nadam, that was Oscar Bob, a young player. You've been in his position before. What do you make of him as a footballer and what you heard in that interview there? Technically, he's a footballer. Amazing. I think the mentality as well that he can sort of see coming out of him there is also great because I think young players, from when I was one of them, you don't really... You come in and, you know, you deserve your chance to be in and around it. You don't necessarily know what you're supposed to be doing as such or what's, what's really of value. But I think given the fact that I think it was against Yokohama, people were saying he played well, but he was saying, no, nah, I did some things wrong. Mostly, that's like the opposite of the way young people tend to think. It's more a case of, well, I played against Yokohama. I did a step over. You see my through ball. But it's the details. And I think those, that attention to detail is what will take him to the very top. I think he's, uh, he's a great player to have at the academy now. And it's also interesting how, you know, in these days where you can join an academy from, you know, single figures, the fact that he wasn't really part of the academy system until 12, 13, shows that he's got a bit of a rawness to him as well.
but then has still managed to take on board all the tactical elements. So this is the type of player that you want to have in there and to get the chance to play with some of these players, to be trusted by the manager, like being trusted by one of the best managers in the history of football, playing with some of the best players to ever play in the Premier League. And you're there on merit. You know, what a guy. I thought it was a great interview as well. You could see he was coming out of the show little by little by little. Yeah, he was ner- He was nervous. He's a young lad. He's not, he's huge, not, you know what I mean? Why people not be nervous? He's not done that many. And But I, I agree towards the end, he, he was kind of opening up a little bit. But that exacting standards thing that you touched on there, Brian, who knows him very well, and Brian Barry Murphy, by the way, is a, a huge fan of of this guy, both as a, a professional footballer, but as a, as a person as well. He spoke to me about that prior to the interview. He said he's very self-critical, which I suppose is is part of uh, professional football, trying to drive themselves on to to be better. Do you know, it it can be, but it's not always the case. Um, To put it into perspective, I think myself and lots of other people, like when you finish a game, the result is obviously the most important thing. But the bits that stick in my mind the most are the things which I could have done better. And that's kind of what propels you to sort of work on things in the week to... You know, to become better as a player but there are some players who only focus on the things that like went well and that tends to be like a young mentality i remember one game in particular in my career there was a youngster who made his debut and he, he played for 10 minutes and in that time we conceded three goals he was a left back and he was horrendous but then that night he was out celebrating are you going to name any names i'm not going to name no. any names because he wasn't associated with city so this is city pod we don't need to be yeah, like people there. but he was celebrating he was going nuts i was like something's missing here Something's missing because it's great that you made your debut, but at what cost? That was the only time he played for the club. And from then, I don't think he's still playing now, but some people have the ingredients to be able to make it to the top and it tends to be those mm-hmm. who can really understand and want to know, like, what can I do to help the team? What can I do to get in the team? What can I do to be a better player? And as we've seen across the years now, like those are the ones who play for the longest, play at the highest level and make the biggest difference for their sides. And Oscar definitely has that. I think the fact that Brian is saying that's what he's like at the age of 20 when he's surrounded by people his own age. You know, those are good things to have because at 20, you might just be the best. And some of those players who are just the best, they don't really try that high. They don't really care about the things which are going wrong. So, well, you know, I'm the best. I don't, I don't, I don't even need to be here. But for him, he's striving to be the best that he can be, trying to learn from those that have got the uh, knowledge to be able to help him. Clearly, there are no guarantees for a young player in no. City that you're going to make it in the first team because the level is so, so high. Uh, however, if anyone has got a chance of the current crop, I, I would say uh, he's probably best positioned. And I really hope he does it because he's a really young, uh, mature young man who uh very focused and clearly has applied himself so well to get to this level. And the fact that he's played in Portugal, Norway, <laughs> and in Manchester in an academy, he's got a really kind of well-rounded background. He has, he's, you can tell he's got a lot to offer. He's got a lot of potential and he feels like he's happy to be here as well. You know, he's humble. And I think that level of humility is exactly what you need, given the talent that he has, to give him the best chance to make a great career. Let's talk briefly then just about tour in general. Um, I'm sure producer Craig would uh, would back me up on this. The reaction we got in both Tokyo and Seoul, uh, I think, took everybody by surprise. So I just wanted to link this back into the question I asked you first about winning the treble. What does that do for this football club? It really did. I mean, it was like travelling around with the Beatles at one point. You know, the the fans, the the reaction, the the love they had for the players. It was it really took me by surprise, and the volume of people who were turning up to watch us. What was your impression from afar of that? The game that I worked on was the Atletico game, and I remember looking in the stands at like so blue. The stands are so blue. I never, and you know, this is against Atletico, who've been a, a really big, successful side for a long time. You know. And I thought, this is 
this is amazing. But I get it. I think if you were someone that's been interested in the Premier League in recent times, like City have been the standard. You've got a Haaland who, you know, was up for like European golden boots and all sorts. This is the future. Yeah, this is the future of football. And he's at, he's at City, the team that, have, as I say, been the standard in the Premier League for the last few years. You say the last few years, but it's been it's been a long time now, hasn't it? Our, yeah. Our dominance has been more like 12 yeah, years. But to be fair, I think it's it has been, but it's been different iterations of it. But this one feels like this is the one that travels the furthest. Um, in terms of like the manager, this is this would be known as the Guardiola era. Pep era. Yeah, yeah, and this is one of the best managers that's ever done it. And then you look at say some of the players like Haaland, like when he was available, everyone wanted to sign him. Schultz comes to City and then in his first season, what did he do? He breaks the Premier League goal scoring record and he wins the Champions League for the first time for the club and the FA Cup. Yeah. That's genuinely astonishing. And if you wanted if you're someone that cares about stories and the best team style of play, like you watch City because you know that is a type of football that you strive to play yourself, whether it's for your local side or playing for another team around the country somewhere. People want to be at City, people want to play the way they do it. They want to be coached by the best, play with the best. And right now, your City are the sort of flag bearers for that. Yeah, in terms of style, City are about as close as you can get to a guarantee, aren't they, that when you watch a game, you're probably going to be entertained because of the style that that Pep uh, has introduced. Do you know what I would say about that, actually? I think... Depends. I think domestically, not everyone loves possession-based football and it still makes them feel a little bit uncomfortable. They prefer things to a certain extent that's more direct. But globally, given the sort of some of the other footballing cultures out there, then I think it suits the eye of many from that standpoint. Because you'd love to keep the ball. You'd love to have someone in your team that can go and play in midfield as well. You'd love to be able to have the wingers that can get it and take people on. Love to be able to like play a magnificent through ball to a six-foot-four Norwegian running full speed that slaps it into the corner. But... The style is like it's possession based and it's good possession. It's making the right decision. It's about making sure that you sort of make the opposition constantly have to think about: Am I in the right place or not? And I'm so relieved. You know, it'd be great to play in the Premier to be in the Premier League again. But playing games against Man City, you're not in control of anything. Like, do I go to this guy on the left or do I go to that guy on the right? And more often than not, you whichever one you go for, they go the other way. You're basically playing a game without a ball. And all these players and teams that we see go up against City and have lower possession, all those teams would rather have the ball. That's why you love the game of football. There aren't many people who are 10, 11 years of age who say, I'll tell you what I love about football, just not having the ball. Yeah, just chasing around, yeah, trying just, to get yeah, it. Yeah, I love just chasing people, yeah. you know what I mean? And just like having no control about what's happening. But their style of play is magnificent. I think the the way the manager, the coaching staff and the players themselves have sort of created this style of football they have that is, you know, world-renowned now. Because it's unique, it's world-renowned. I think credit to them because this is such a significant era. It's one of my favourite eras in football. My previous one was like Barcelona, lo and behold, under Pep. Funnily enough, there's a clear link there. There's a a link there between a guy and uh, some of the best football I think I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Just a final point on Tour, because I think Tour's a good example of the the size of of a football club. And I think maybe prior to last summer's Tour, City were always trying to, to grow and... Um, maybe we weren't getting the reaction that you know we, we we would have ideally wanted, but last year in America and certainly this year, um, we're seeing something pretty special. And we went to uh, Tokyo first, but we were there in 2019. We knew the we have big fan base there and they love football. When we got to Korea, the I don't think anybody you know it took us by surprise. So 
the club is definitely on a trajectory that is the one that we all want it to be on and uh, long may that continue and it'll be interesting to see what next year's tour and the tour after that are like as well. It feels to me like the club is such the heart of lots of young people to the point where in 10 years time they'll still be there regardless of whether the club's successful or not. You know, in the same way that other teams historically have had a big fan base due to their successful years. But I think the stuff that they're doing in terms of engagement with fans from all around the world, I think that goes a long way as well. So to be able to be magnificent on the field and off the field as well makes it a really good club to be able to get behind. And I'm sure those fans, you know, it's a dream come true to see some of those players arrive in South Korea, you know, to get the chance to, and the players themselves will be taking pictures with people to try and put on a show for them. And you know, because they are like one of maybe three or four teams tops who are the pinnacle of world football. And the way that we've seen it, if you love football, you love the best teams, you love how they play, you love what they do, you love what they stand for. And as a consequence, just the work that's been done over the last, say, 12, 13 years, or however long it's been, truly astonishing, because I never thought they'd be in this position. But I also know that they've not hit the ceiling yet. And to the fact that there's more to come, given now, given the fact that, you know, they're loved by so many around the world, I think it says a lot about the work that's been done so far. Well, what a wonderful point to bring this tour special to an end. Nader Manua, thank you so much. The, the insight there, genuinely uh, fascinating stuff. Thank you very much for joining us on this episode of the official Manchester City podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever it is you do your podcast listening. And until next time, take care of one another and I will see you soon. The official Manchester City podcast. Subscribe and follow now so you never miss an episode.